the second week of a series we've titled Relation Shipwrecked. And it's really looking together at the reality of how relationships go and how God intends for them to go and the joy of what he has for us. I, w- I want to take you to a place with me as we begin, kind of a circumstance, and some of you will have been in it. Picture a young father in a grocery store with his little baby boy. When I said that during the first hour, people laughed, as if to say dads don't do that, or they all do shipped now. I'm not sure what they meant by it, but picture with me this scene happening. As it happens, the dad is pushing his boy along in the cart, and the boy is acting out, screaming, carrying on. Familiar? And as he carries on, he's also reaching just enough to grab things off the shelf, pull them in, and throw them back out. He's now made a path around him because people are staying clear. And yet in the midst of this chaos, you hear the dad mumbling again and again. You can hear it. He's saying, it's okay, Donald. Everything's all right, Donald. Calm down, Donald. Take it easy, Donald. Over and over again. Seeing this calm father, this young mother looks on and is astonished at what's going on. Even probably drawn to it, walks over and says, I am just so amazed at how you stay calm with all that's going on right now. And then she kneels down and says, hey, Donald, to the little boy, what's wrong? And the dad immediately stops and says, no, no, no. His name's Henry. I'm Donald. That is not how I would react in those moments. You know, it's a picture for us, though, of the difficulties we go in through relationship, and all of us are drawn to what's being caused by the other person. And somehow in this image, in this reality, this young father realizes something in me needs to shift, not something somewhere else. As I said, we've started this series, really we're in the second week that we've called Relation Shipwrecked. We, we titled it this way because very simply, relationships have a lot of potential to crash and burn in small ways and in great ways. They don't always end in fracture, but they end or move along in a separateness and a brokenness. This was very true and always has been throughout history and in the life of the early church those leaders realized much of what we will deal with is helping people learn to relate to each other differently. As we began the series last week, we looked specifically at a letter that a man named Paul writes. He writes it to a church in Ephesus, a place he's lived three years and is now in prison writing back to them. And so much of what he wants to say, he says to them about their relationships. In fact, if you weren't here, you can go back online and catch the first week But a simple idea behind it that we started with is this. The Holy Spirit changes us, which is God's intention, not just to rise, but to give us his spirit and to transform us to be his hands and feet to a world in need, to the world around us, to redeem, to bring things back to the way God intended. Beautifully, really. And what we said was the Holy Spirit changes us in the thick of relationships. Because oftentimes as Christians, what we do is we go, I'm going to have my quiet time over here with God. He's going to change me, and then I'll go deal with those people. But the reality is God changes us as we walk in life. So with that in mind, we're going to continue 
where we began. In Ephesians chapter four, we're only in a few verses. We're kind of really diving in in a, a deeper level to a small amount of teaching. I, you can see it here, but even before I say it, I want to remind you of what Paul says before he gets here. He has two prayers he prays for the Ephesian church in earlier parts of this letter. And I just want to cite for a minute the, the prayer that precedes these very words. What Paul prays is that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. It wasn't that they didn't already have the Holy Spirit, but clearly that even though the Holy Spirit lived in them, there was much more to discover, to reveal, and to be. And so it's like saying you already have the Spirit, but now let him keep filling you. But he said these words, may you know the height and breadth and depth and width of the love of Christ. In other words, may you keep deepening in your understanding of who Jesus is and how he loves you. Now, having said that, this is now what Paul speaks to them, but it's out of a prayer of God's presence to help them. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, we went over this last week, but I want to show you something a little different. This word live has a couple of meanings in the original language. A simple one that makes a lot more sense to us is to walk to walk in a way that's worthy. In the Jewish culture, there was this great phrase to understand how they were to live for God, and it was halakha, and it simply meant to walk. In other words, what Paul had grown up with, what Jesus had actually grown up with, what everyone knew that would have been part of this culture was how you walk is how you know what you live. In other words, what matters is how we actually walk this thing out. And guess where we walk it out? We walk it out in relationship, right? We all have lots of relationships, don't we? Some are great, some are more strained. I bet every one of us has a difficult person in their life that they go, God didn't realize what it would be like when they put them in my life. But here's the interesting thing. Did you know that we are all difficult people? Like when you wonder about who God put in your life that's difficult, just pull up a mirror and go, oh, wow. Now, I don't say that to destroy you. I say that to humble us. Let's be reminded that relationships are difficult and living a life worthy is a life that God must change and move in to transform. Paul continues in it. This is what we looked at last week. Be completely humble and gentle. And we simply looked at the beauty that humility isn't something you manufacture or attain through activity. It's an internal work that God does to change you and how you see life. That's what we kind of looked at with humility and gentleness, that it starts in the heart. And it starts out of confession more, and the Spirit's work to transform. And Paul continues now in the second statement. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, how many of you are thrilled today that I'm calling you to patience with one another? I thought you'd be pumped. I'm glad to hear it. You know, it's an interesting thought to be patient and even how it pairs together, bearing with one another in love. Patience is not a skill. It's not learning to manage your experience and emotions so you don't react. Patience is born out of love for who you see in front of you and how you see them. That's what he's simply saying. Now, before we move into it and look at what it means to be patient, what God might want to do to draw that in us and help us to bear with one another in love, I want to remind us of what it's not. Because I think one of the tendencies when you hear a word like patience is, oh, patience, that means I'm supposed to pretend like everything's fine and just kind of suck it up and let it go. 
Everything's letting it go, and I deal with all the crud around me. Now, I want you to see what Paul says. This is another letter to the church in Thessalonica, but he'll speak about patience alongside of some other things. He says it this way, we urge you, brothers and sisters, hey, you need to warn those who are idle and disruptive. In other words, where there's an error or a mistake, you speak about it. We want you to encourage the disheartened. You need to cheer them on, and we want you to help the weak be the hands and feet. And by the way, you want to know what you do in every relationship? You be patient with everyone. Did you know that it's not either or? So when you're patient, patience will lead you to correct, but it leads you to correct differently. Patience leads you to build up when they're broken, but it leads you differently. It's not charity. And weakness, standing and come alongside, is led differently out of a heart of patience. Now, we're gonna go ahead and look in a few minutes at what I believe to be the heart of this and what I believe to be the most important probably perspective you need to have or something we all need to grow in. But before I do that, I want to speak to a couple of things that I think are very unique to our modern day living that make this difficult, that make patience countercultural, in fact. Things that for us, we probably need a new way of thinking and living apart from the truth in here. Because if I just talk to you about what it is you need from Jesus and how he's to live, but we don't address the overall issues that we deal with that make this more difficult, it could be a miss for us. So, so let me start here. Let's just for a minute look at the pace of life. I, I don't open your, your calendars, but I'm curious if any of you, that you hear that and you already know I'm tired. Like, I wonder if this is familiar. Do any of you have a calendar like that? Have you ever had someone call your email and say, I'd love to get together, and you go, listen, on March 18th from 2.30 to 2.45, I have a great window for you. Does any of you think that's not funny and it's true? Or actually, I'm looking at April or May? I mean, this is a piece of how we live. And, and this may not just be work, you start adding on your personal activities, your personal responsibilities, those things around you. Can we agree that our culture is demanding a lot of us? And in case this isn't enough, I bet some of us, you have those things and you're like, it's not enough. I better put stuff on the steering wheel. A any of you ever left a kid at school when you weren't supposed to, didn't pick them up? Any of you ever forgot a meeting you were to have? Anyone ever left your spouse at the grocery store? I did. It's another story for another time, and no matter how I tell it, it's just horrible. And if I told you how long it took me to even realize it in the car ride home, you would understand why I'm a difficult person to deal with. But let's be honest. We live in a culture that runs against patience and slowing. I know people that read books, and they love to read books, but they want to see how many and how fast. So they found on the Audible app, you can turn it to two and three times the speed of word. So basically, Minnie Mouse is reading to you whatever book you pick, or the chipmunks. Because we can't even slow down enough to take in something. And even if I choose to talk a little more slowly today, it'll be hard for you. We don't know how to slow down. If that's true, how hard is it to have patience? How many of us get torqued at the person driving in front of us just because they are not on our schedule 
and they clearly did not realize they were in a left lane when they should have been in the right lane so I could get past them. Or just the, amen, there we go. Or the sheer fact that they should have realized if the speed limit's 40, let's go 45 or 50. What kind of idiot drives like that? That's where we're going with this, forget patience. Let's just talk, no, I'm kidding. Here's the worst part of it. It starts early now. I think kids at an early age learn they better be running and they better be running fast. So imagine we talk about the life Jesus wants us to have and the very heart he wants us to have, which is at the core of this, but we're so busy, how could you ever even hear it or discover it? I mean, I, I can tell you the things we're going to, but if you don't examine those external forces, this will be part of the problem. And by the way, the way of Jesus was a way of slowing and solitude. So many times it says he went to the desert places. He went to be alone. He lived in a place of quiet at a time that was strategically not meant to. He modeled for us a different way of life, a different way to walk. And no matter what I tell you as we look at the heart of this, which we will, if you run 90 miles an hour, you will have a lot working against you. So I know, this thing, I know that's not an easy change, but quit telling yourselves it can't change. That's a lie. I'll give you a second piece that goes along with this, I think. Something I wish I would have learned a lot earlier in life, and I, I think I figured it out after my kids grew up. I, I call it life under pressure. Now, when you hear under pressure, do you hear a bass line like I do? Doom, 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 Under pressure coming down on me. I mean, that's life, isn't it? Just pressure after pressure after pressure. In fact, I would say it this way. I, at least I didn't learn very early in life, how much the pressure of small things in my day-to-day life affect how I respond in every moment. And it varies from day-to-day. In fact, I still remember many in my family, and even that I worked with, would say, what's the line with you that you get upset? Because it seems to change from day-to-day. And I would say, no, it doesn't. And then I would just say things like, figure it out. Like, you wish I had a temperature gauge probably for them to see. I'm I'm running right now 110. You do not want to say anything to me. Other days it was fine. And this is what I've discovered with it. Every little thing that goes on affects you. Have you ever realized you get a frustrating email and if left unprocessed and undealt with, it just sits in the pile or it kind of builds up. Or you might process it in a way that's not healthy and it builds up more. Ever had it where the school calls and your kid's sick and you gotta leave work and you can't leave work and they have no idea what's going on at work and you're thinking to yourself, why'd that kid get sick? What is wrong with them? And it changes your perspective on it. And we can go kind of situation after situation. You knew the credit card bill was coming, but you didn't realize you made a couple of extra purchases. And now the financial burden just went up and the temperature went up. And we keep going. Have you ever worked with somebody that complains a lot? Don't answer that. But you sit through the day and you realize just the negativity of what I lived through has a slow drain on me. And some days I can handle it better than others. But combine it with a bad email and a credit card bill, I could be in trouble. And then we have bigger events like losing a job or losing some relationship where it really pulls us down and the pressure increases. Oh, and your kid not only is sick, now they're calling because they forgot lunch. And you're thinking, it's not my fault you forgot lunch. And they're saying, I'm five. It kind of is your fault that you forgot lunch, that I forgot lunch. 
Think about it at work where your staff aren't working the way they should. Do you know that staff do not listen to their bosses all the time? No, that's not true here, but that's been true lots of places. It's not true here. I have a great team. I've also realized they turn it the other way. Boss is too demanding. You expect way too much of me. And the list keeps going on. I'm behind on a project. That meeting went long, and that was not even a good meeting. Does that person not know how to lead a meeting? They obviously didn't read Death by Meeting. They don't even know who Patrick Lencioni is. They are idiots on meetings. I hate their meetings. And then you're in charge of a meeting, and you realize, I'm not in charge of the problem, and I don't like them either. doesn't go very well. Pressure increases. This one we already talked about. The driver in front of me is dumb. They clearly have a gap somewhere in their thinking and their understanding, and I will remind them of it later. My car breaks down. It's not only a bill, it's a problem, and other things happen. Oh, and this one, now we have the advent of social media. Did you know there's no break from pressure? And do you know that people say things that they didn't check with you first on what they think or why they think it, and how easily offended we are by what they write, and how uninformed they are, and how important it is for you and me to tell them how uninformed they are, and we're going to tell them not in a nice way. We're going to drop the mic and remind them, and then we're going to get our friends who agree with us to to put likes on it so we can segment out, because that'll make it better. You get how that adds, right? The pressure keeps going. I think of so many that have broken marriages and they're rebuilding families and they're dealing with hassles and problems and struggles with their ex and how that works. I think of how many people don't get enough sleep and don't even remember to eat sometimes. That's not a problem for me, but it happens for lots of people. This is one for us. We had water in our basement. We've had water in our basement a lot of times. You might even think we have an indoor pool with how many times we have had water in our basement. And then some of you sad ones just have a bad hair day. I mean, come on, does that not really take the tank? I've seen people get very upset about this. Sadly, in the last service, I watched a son-in-law reach to his father-in-law in front who is bald and rub the head and say, you never have a bad hair day. That probably created a different kind of stress in that moment. And finally, even how we can fight over text messaging where you can't hear tone and you don't interact directly, just do you picture with me all the stress that happens? And this is something I wish someone would have told me when I was a lot younger, was how I manage that during the day will affect how loving and patient I am at night. You know, in my, my career, I managed it better with my staff and those I worked with than I did with my family. And I wish someone had told me sooner, you know what, pay attention to the stresses you're having in the day. Take time to step back. Can you imagine even if you took 15 minutes before you left work and said, Jesus, will you meet me? Here's all the things that happened today. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna sit with you for a little while. Do you think he might breathe peace into your life? Oh, you bet he would. And think about that even as a particular event happens, whether it's at home or at work. Now, I know these aren't the internal parts, but in our day and age, if we don't address them, it will make it harder to hear the parts that we're gonna talk about now. In fact, what I think we're left with when we don't do this is just to perform better. I think basically we go, listen, this is life. You and the whole idea of patience is very simply a skill to be learned. You have to let the temperature get hotter before you boil over. Or in the cold times, they get colder and colder, you just have to get grittier. It's kind of how we tend to think. And I'm here to really communicate to you while we're talking about these kind of problems, that is not the case at all. 
I am not asking you to get a better skill to manage this better, though those help. I am asking you to look at those external parts like your schedule and your pressure to say, how does this work against my being patient? But where we wanna go is just a one simple story today. One simple picture from the life of Jesus and people he interacts with that I think gives wonderful image to what we need and want that will both help us to receive the love that we then can share that helps us bear with one another and be patient. So, so let me take you to this story. In people in the church, it's, it's often spoken about. It's a story for me that I find very important to my relationships in Christian life. This is a story of a woman who ends up at the feet of Jesus in a very unique situation. It tells us in Luke chapter 7, though it's accounted for in other places, that Jesus goes to the house of a Pharisee goes to have this dinner. They're reclining at the table, it tells us. And this idea of reclining actually has image in the ancient world. In Babylonian culture, reclining at the table was something they did to show their freedom and their victory in life. It's why they reclined. It wasn't done everywhere at all the time. And when the Jewish people did it, it was an image of that one day God would free them like he did out of Egypt. That reclining is this beautiful image of freedom, none greater and thus lesser, all freed from the bondage they've been under. Which is ironic when you realize what happened at the dinner. Because at this dinner, when this is happening, it tells us a woman was aware that Jesus was there, came to the dinner, stood at first behind him, began to weep, ends up at his feet weeping, and her tears begin to wash his feet. From there, she begins to wipe her tears and his feet with her hair. Then she kisses his feet, and then she pours what they say is an alabaster jar of perfume, something worth great wealth and great extravagance. She pours all over them. Now, it tells us from this story that the Pharisee sees this and just tells us he thinks it. Man, what was Jesus thinking? Can't he tell she is someone of lesser value? She's worse than, and she's more of a mess than should be. She deserves, in a sense, the bondage she's in, where we should be freed for a different reason, which, by the way, is a very merit-based look, isn't it? Now, Jesus knows his thoughts. I love this. I just, I wonder what it was like. I, I don't think of it as simply because Jesus was God. He knows the thoughts. It's very simply this, that Jesus lived in complete presence of the Holy Spirit, fully embodied in humanity, and the Spirit led him in this meaning God wants that for us too. And he turns to the Pharisees and says, hey, I want to tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about two people that had a debt to a moneylender. Neither of them could repay the debt. They were beyond hope, but one of them has a much larger debt beyond hope. So one was beyond hope and the other was way beyond hope. He says the money changer basically frees both of them from the debt. The money changer lets both of them off the hook. And he simply says this, which one do you think loved them more? Which loved this money lender more? And then he responds. This what the Pharisee responds. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt that was forgiven. And Jesus just says it this way. You've judged correctly. This is true. But then he goes on. You know, I came into your home. You didn't put any water for my feet or wash them. And yet this woman came and cried there and wiped it with her hair and kissed my feet. You didn't give me any perfume or anything of a fragrance or a kindness. She poured out everything she had on me. 
She poured out all of it on me. You treated me like it was no big deal, not even oil on my head. And then he beautifully says this. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Now that was scandalous. Did you know it's not the depth of what you've done? It's who I am. As her great love has shown, she gets that she's forgiven. And then he says, whoever's been forgiven little, loves little. Now the reason I like to go to this story and probably why it's so impacting to me, be patient, bear with one another in love. Do you know why we aren't patient and why we don't bear with each other? We don't understand the depth of Jesus' love for us. I mean, it's a simple idea. And you probably heard me say it before. And by the way, I'll say it again. And I'll say it again. And I'll say it again. I don't think we really get how much he loves us. And I would say I don't think we get how deep our need is for him to love us. You know, uh, like I'm 55 now. It's always funny. I always feel like I'm Sammy Hagar when I say that because I can't drive 55. This is what my mind is depraved about. Lots of things. I have known that truth for much of my life. I would tell you in the last, even recent months, that has reached a different depth of inside for me. I just want to confess, this is how it works in my life, is I oftentimes know that Jesus is supposed to be the one I go to and I know his love for me. But often what I do is get his love and then I want to get it to other people, not even to give it to them, to show them that so I'll feel better that they think it's impressive. You see, I don't think we really understand his love. And what it does is it makes us broken. So we overperform and we do things like the Pharisee. I'm better than you are and I'm worthy of some patience and you're not at all. But by the way, when we don't feel worthy, we don't feel worthy of patience either. We just might perform a little better that we don't appear to need it as much. And then there's those of us over here who feel like what we've done, if anybody really knew, there's no way they would love and accept us. And I want you to hear this. I don't mean any disrespect, but God doesn't really care if you all love and respect an individual because he does. And God looks into the souls of you as his sons and daughters. He goes, I love you. What she experienced in that moment was an understanding that in the darkest, messed up place of her life, Jesus loved her and reached in farther with that love. It was a love that would sacrifice and die. She's actually anointing him, by the way, for his burial, which we know later. Like, she gets it. Now, do you think if you and I really get the depth of God's love that we might become more patient and bearing with each other in love better? I think we will. So really, the simple invitation is for you to start asking God to show you what Paul prayed, the height and depth and breadth and width of his love. But it's not this big theological thing. It's, God, would you show me how much you love me in the mess of who I am, all the things I take off, all the things I pretend and don't want other people to see, all the things I'm embarrassed about, the reality of who I am in my brokenness. Would you show me how much you love me? And the more we get that, how could we not say to someone else when they're messing up, man, I got a lot of patience for that. 
because I'm a mess too. And this is what I would tell you I'm discovering in this season. It isn't even that I don't have issues in relationship, but a lot of what clouds it is my own brokenness and my own lack of understanding God's love. So I go to places like maybe I'm better than you or maybe I'll feel a little better than you or maybe I'm a little worse and I have to fix it. But the more I understand my own need, the more it seems to dissipate and allow me to see the circumstances more clearly that I actually can be patient and bearing with others in love. Because basically when I'm unloving, it's because I don't get it too. That's why Paul then says things like, when someone's in sin, you correct them, but how do you do it? Patience. You correct because you get your own need and you don't go at it like you're less than and I need to tell you that and I'm better than and I'm correcting you. It's a very different posture. I hope this makes sense. It's been such a journey for me and I I don't always know if it translates, but I know this is true. And, And simply what I'm gonna do is pray for us that we would actually get a revelation of this. It's, it, I want God to show us that patience is rooted in love. I want you to understand that when you truly are patient, it's because you see people as God does and you see yourself as he does and we become more patient as we discover more of Jesus and his love for us. Knowing Jesus is not a one-time transaction. It is an eternal pursuit the more I know him, the more I understand his love. The more I understand his love, the more I discover him. The more I discover him, the more I love others. It's connected. So I simply want to pray for us, for that revelation. And then we're going to respond with communion as a beautiful way. I mean, what a great place. You get to go to the place that Jesus reminds us that he died for us. That's the darkest place to go and the most wonderful place to go. Man, it's like the woman sitting at his feet. Why would that not bring us to great gratitude to know the God of the universe sees everything and said, I want to die for you. I love you that much. And not only do I forgive you, I give you my spirit so you now can help others discover that. Wow. That's amazing. Let me pray. Lord, I ask that you'll meet us individually and together. I pray for any here who believed a lie that they weren't good enough or lovable enough. I pray for those who believed a lie that they need to do better and be good enough. Lord, I am just asking that you'd meet each one where they need you today, that you'd pour out your presence and your grace, that we would stop looking at each other through the lens of our own brokenness and start looking at it through the lens of your love and forgiveness. Change us, God caution us in the places of our calendars that are incredibly busy. Caution us and give peace to us in those places that pressure overcomes us. But more than anything, God, reveal yourself to us. The height and breadth and depth and width of your love in your name. Amen.